Hi, everyone, and thank you for coming back for another episode of the Play Sheet podcast. I'm Charles Horton, and I'm here with Joe Simpson. Hey, guys. Um, today, we are going to be doing a slightly different feature. We're uh, going to look at teams in some detail. And the format we're going to use is the good, the bad, and the sneaky. We're going to look at a team each, which is a good team that everyone thinks will probably do well, a bad team, which everyone thinks will do terribly, and then a sneaky team that we think might go against the grain and perform better than most pundits out there have it. I'm going to be covering off the NFC. Chaz is going to be covering off the AFC. Um, so why don't we start with you, Chaz? Okay, well, I mean, I'm spoiled for choice with the AFC, to be honest. You've got champions from last year, the Chiefs. But I think for me, the team that I'm most excited about is the Ravens. And that's who I wanted to discuss first. It's going to be a real battle for that top spot in the AFC. It's my belief that the Ravens are going to come exceptionally close. So the Ravens did really well last year. One of the biggest concerns that they have to look to overcome this season is losing Marshall Yander, who was really, really impactful in terms of being one of the greatest guards of recent years. And that's something that they'll certainly miss. But I think they've done well in their recent pickups at the draft of Ben Powers and Ben Bredson, who could hopefully step into that role and fill that gap. But I think for me, and Joe, you'll know this, as I picked him up in our fantasy, I'm really excited to see what happens with J.K. Dobbins. They are a team that likes to run. Jackson's got great legs as well. They've reinforced that with Dobbins. And then on top of that, they've also gone and picked up Devin Duvernay. And they've gone on to pick up Calais Campbell. It's a team that was already doing exceptionally well. And I think they've just gone on to strengthen themselves massively and put themselves in position for a very, very competitive playoff run. Well, I'm glad that you got in there first and acknowledged that Marshall Yanders is gone before I could have stopped you. Because that would have been my first point in challenging this, Chaz. But... Aside from Yander, who is a massive piece, like you say, he's been one of the leading guards of the last 10 years. He's a very hard piece to change. Even if he maybe hasn't been playing at his classic levels in the last couple of years, he's still been a dressing room presence who would have been tutoring the younger guys. Aside from Yander, though, players who have gone, you've got Hayden Hurst, who, you know, was a sneaky, quiet, but very proficient tight end. Again, we've been speaking about tiers of tight ends. Hayden Hurst not in the top tier, no one's saying that. But you can make a case for him being in that tier afterwards. Again, not at Austin Hooper levels, not at that top level, but he's been a solid tight end and he's been an important piece for what the Ravens have been doing, both in the blocking and receiving game. But forget about the offense for a minute. Let's look at the pieces they've lost from a D. You've lost Michael Pierce. Michael Pierce has been the main run stopper playing nose tackle. Starting nose tackle started 14 games last season. You lost Chris Wormley lining up next to him at defensive end. And then you've also lost Brandon Carr, one of the two starting cornerbacks. Now, you're right. The Ravens game was based on running last year. But aside from a running game, they also had a very, very strong D. And they won games with their D. Some key pieces from that D have gone now. And across that line, Michael Pierce and Chris Wormley are big losses. How do you see that affecting the uh, season ahead? Yeah, the D was a really big part of their game, as you correctly pointed out. What I quite liked about their draft pickups, at least, was that I think with a lot of them, they very much seem like they could be contributors from year one, which, as we know, when you're picking up in the draft, that's not always the case. And for a team like the Ravens, who are very much in a win-now period, they needed to make sure that the pieces that they were picking up in the draft could cover those gaps. 
losing those defensive players, it's no good drafting people that are going to take three, four years to bet in. It's too late by then. Granted, they're defensively not going to be playing at the same level that they played last season. But I think with the weapons that they've added in the offense, that might balance it out a bit. Do you think they've drafted sensibly, though? Because like you say, they took J.K. Dobbins quite early in the draft. You say early, but he was 55 overall. I think for a talent like Dobbins, that's I think he slipped. You know, now we can talk about picking the best player available, and that's one way of looking at it. But when you have lost pieces like Michael Pierce, like Chris Wormley, like Brandon Carr on the D, and you have players like Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill in your running back room, isn't it a bit luxurious to be taking a running back at pick 55 when there's probably more pressing needs which are out there? You could certainly argue that. I think you've got a very good case for that. The only thing that I would say about their running back situation is I think Ingram is in his twilight years. Well, he's 30. Yeah, but for a running back, injuries... He's 30 with miles on the clock, I'll give you that. At the Saints, there was a fair amount of use from him. But I mean, he's normally been part of a one-two punch. And at age 30, there's probably still gas in the tank. I mean, he ran for over 1,000 yards last year. The rush leader, of course, was Lamar Jackson with 1,200 yards. So you've got, you know, 2,200 yards from Ingram and Jackson just there. You have. Here's the thing, though. Jackson really shone with his legs. But I think teams are going to get wise to it now. And I think that's what the organization is planning for. I think they realise that people are going to be coming for Jackson now. They're going to be prepared for him to run. And I think what they're looking to do is give Jackson those options so that he's not going to get a horrific injury because Jackson is the biggest asset that the Ravens have. And I think they want to protect him and they're worried that teams are going to be coming for him this season. And do you think that the defence will be taking a step back? I mean, they did draw off Patrick Queen uh, round one, a linebacker. But like I said, there have been losses in the D-line. Uh, some key pieces gone there. And I mean, aside from Justin Madubuike, who might be ready to start as a third round pick, they didn't particularly strengthen the defensive line in this year's draft. The Ravens D is an absolute mystery to me. I remember first year of fantasy, I had them as my defence. They were absolutely amazing. Then when we went to watch them at Twickenham, I think it was, and they absolutely fell to pieces. Whenever I think they're going to do well, they do badly. Whenever I think they're going to do badly, they do well. I think it will be a step back. With Marshall Yander, he is such a big, impactful player. You can't replace that unless you go out and you obtain a like-for-like vet swap. But yeah, it's going to take a step back. Will it take a step back dramatically? I think that's what they're planning for. I think the Ravens have basically said, look, we, we're losing some pieces on the defense. We know we can't replace them. So let's give Jackson some more options on the offense so that the defense, there's less importance placed on it. You know, if we can give him some players that he can offload too quickly or give him some players that he can throw out wide to, then actually the defence don't need to hold off the offence for as long as, you know, maybe they did do last season. And do you think that's a smart move now, given the changes in the AFC North? I mean, the Steelers basically got a new look offence this year with a new running back, new wide receivers. The Bengals are obviously going in with Joe Burrow now. So... Both teams have kind of rejigged their offences. Is this the right time to be changing to be a more offence-heavy side? 
or should they be taking advantage of perhaps the changes that are going on? I think that question really does depend on what their objective is. And I think for the Ravens, it's a Super Bowl win. That's what they're aiming for here. And so when that's the target, I, I suppose they don't really care what the Bengals are doing. They don't care what the Steelers are doing. The only teams that they really care what's happening is the Chiefs. In fairness, I mean, the Chiefs played well defensively last season, but everyone talks about the Chiefs' offensive game and, and how they could just outscore anyone. And I think the Ravens feel like they need to step that up if they want to overcome them later on in the season into the playoff run. Regular season, are they going better than their record last year of 14-2? Wow. I, I don't think they are. Truth yeah, be told. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think it's quite good that we're, we're splitting this by AFC and NFC because... I think the AFC overall, generally, has massively improved during this offseason. Pretty much all the teams have strengthened their squad, so it's really hard to make gains. So now we colours to the wall, what record are the Ravens going to have in 2019? Well, this depends if we play a full 16-game season. Yeah, yeah. Assuming that we do. Do you know what? I think they'll only possibly drop one more game. I reckon 13 wins. I agree with you, they're probably going to win the division. I think they are still by far and away the best team in the division. I think they caught a few teams off guard last year, which is how good they were to start the season. So I'm going to go Ravens winning the AFC North, but I'm going to go 11-5 as their record of a regular season. 11-5, that's a big drop from, that's a three-game loss. It's very hard to maintain a 14-2 season. It's a league of parity and it takes special teams and special front offices to maintain that. I think they're a good team. Like I said, I think they're going to win the AFC North, but I don't think they're going to have a 14-2 season again. I think teams are going to work them out. I think their defence is weaker, and I think their defence carried them through some tough games. So, yeah, I'm saying 11-5. Okay, nice. So, what have you got on the NFC side? Who's your good? Okay, so I probably telegraphed this last week. A team who I've got a lot of love for in the NFC in terms of how it run. I've got the 49ers as my good team. I think that in the NFC North, you do have a few options of teams that are going to go far, teams that are going to do well. 49ers, they went to Super Bowl last year. In my eyes, they haven't weakened much at all. They've added some great pieces. And if we just look at what they've done, in the draft, they picked up Javin Kinlaw, 14th pick overall, to replace DeForest Buckner. Now, we spoke about that last week. It might not be like for like straight away. He's a rookie. He's got to learn things. But that's a great pick. They picked up Brandon Ayuk in the first round, wide receiver, pick 25. Then they didn't really do much else. They didn't have too many other picks. They traded up in the first round. But I think that they filled some gaps they had and they filled them well. In terms of players that they've lost in free agency, you had Emmanuel Sanders go. Now, Emmanuel Sanders, we spoke about him last week as well. A solid player. He's a very capable wide receiver number two. But is he a pivotal piece that determines the future of his side? No, he's not. He's gone and got paid in New Orleans good for him he'll probably do quite well there but it's not a huge loss to the 49ers especially when we've picked up Brandon Ike in the first round and when you look at the other pieces they have like Debo Samuel I think they're quite set at wide receiver they've had Garrett Selleck and Levine Tololo go both tight ends I mean you know they're proficient players but they only get on the field when there's a 1-2 or a 2-2 set out there because you've got George Kittle. You've got George Kittle, who's not only the best tight end in football, he's the best player in football by his PFF rating. So Garrett Selleck and Levine Tololo, that's no biggie. And that's it from a Super Bowl side. They've kept everyone else together. Let's take away draft. Let's take away the place of left. Let's look at who they've picked up in free agency. They've picked up Trent Williams. 
probably the most sought-after offensive lineman out there in free agency. It's been known for a long time he was going to leave the Redskins. Uh, left, left Washington, Joe. Washington. Okay. Okay, the Washington... <laughs> the Washington TBCs. <laughs> the, the Washington TBCs. Everyone knew that he was going to leave Washington. It was just a case of who could afford him because there's not a team out there who probably couldn't have been made better by Trent Williams at left tackle. Now, the offensive line was already above average. That's just put the offensive line onto the next level. Now, if I'm going to be critical of this 49ers team and look at one area where they perhaps need to strengthen, it's probably in the secondary. You've got Richard Sherman there, who's still playing at an incredibly high level and doing what he's been doing throughout his whole career. The Shermanator. The Shermanator. But after Richard Sherman, the quality kind of drops off a little. Uh, the 49ers have picked up the option on K1 Williams' contract, so he'll be coming back. After that, I mean, you've got Akilah Witherspoon. I think back to the game that the 49ers played against the Vikings in the playoffs last year. And the one place where the Vikings were having a lot of success was when they were just aiming the ball on Witherspoon's side of the field. I don't think that he made it past the first quarter and he was just taken off and replaced. When he's third on your depth chart, you know that you've got slight problems at cornerback. So don't get me wrong, they still have a fair amount of cap space. I think at the last look, they've got about 12 million there. They finished last season 13-3 and I honestly can't see why they won't go at least 13-3 again. They're a strong side, have just got stronger. And I like everything that the 49ers have basically done in the offseason. I had a grin like a Cheshire cat then while you were going through that because you mentioned a lot of players and I thought, he's forgotten Trent Williams. He hasn't mentioned Trent Williams. I'm gonna, I, I can't believe I'm going to jump in with some really insightful piece of information. Yeah, I think the Trent Williams pickup was massive for the 49ers. Huge, huge. I, I mean, he's pro bowl left tackle. For them to be picking him up is just an exceptional bit of business. We spoke about DeForest Buckner last week. Again, another great piece of business. I agree. I think they're going to be an incredible team. So you mentioned your concern around the cornerbacks. For me, I think what the Niners need to take it on to the next level is for some consistency around Jimmy Garoppolo. He had a 75.9 rating in the playoffs. And I think on the last six quarters before the Super Bowl, Garoppolo threw 14 passes and they ran it 72 times. And whilst I know a lot of people will say, well, look, if it works, it works. Keep doing it. But we've discussed even on this podcast before how running backs break down if you overuse them. And I think my concern is that they're going to need Garoppolo to step up because I don't know if they can keep running it as heavily as they're doing and relying on that part of their game solely to improve on what they did last season. Well, look at it like this. Perhaps Jimmy Garoppolo not having such a big piece in the offence is part of what makes this team work. As soon as you have a quarterback who is a focal point of the offence, he wants to get paid. And if Jimmy G was, you know, airing the ball out, throwing it 50, 60 times a game, they wouldn't be able to afford him and the system wouldn't work. When you throw 14 passes in six quarters, you can't really demand a high contract and you can't be making too much noise when it's time for free agency. That's kind of one macro way of looking at it. But from what I've said in the past few weeks and my view on running backs and the way the league is looking at running backs now, let them break down. Work them hard for two, three years and then let them go. Raheem Mostert's been making a lot of noise in the last week or so. He has. Yeah, but he wants to get traded He's a replaceable piece. Oh, completely. He wasn't regarded as an elite running back when he went to the 49ers. And even with everything he did last year, and he had a great season, I think in many people's eyes, he's still not regarded as that because he's just a piece in the offense. It's a well-run team. They're not short for quality running backs. 
They certainly aren't. They certainly aren't. It'll just be next man up, and it wouldn't be unreasonable for them to pick up something in the draft next year. Just look at what they've done, though. Like I said, they were a 13-3 team last year, went to Super Bowl, had two picks in the first round this year who have basically replaced the two main pieces that they've lost. And you could argue for at least Brandon Ayak being an upgrade on Emmanuel Sanders. And like I said, Kinlaw not being too far off playing at the level that Bucknell was playing at. And obviously on a rookie contract now. So they've managed things perfectly there. I think they're going to have a great season. And I think they'll still be the benchmark for the NFC. I think it's a point that you made last week, which is they are an exceptionally well-run team. I think when you look at their acquisitions and how they have replaced what they have lost and managed what they have lost, they've done it better than any other team in the league. My only question is around Garoppolo and whether he has the consistency to take them to the next level because what the organisation has done has made sure that the team has not dipped in value at all in terms of their output. I think they've set the team up so that they can run it back. What you need is those existing players to step it up. Well, they've given him the best chance possible because they've yeah. just given him probably the best left tackle in the league or certainly one of the best. He's got Trent Williams looking after his blind side now. He's got absolutely no excuses. He's got all the tools there. He's got new wide receivers to play with, fast, young, wide receivers. He's got everything that he could possibly want. Yeah, so record-wise, what are you going for? You think they're just going to repeat it? Same record? I'm going to go 13 for you again, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. Again, something that I pointed out a little bit earlier was the AFC, to me, it feels like a lot of teams have improved there. I don't think that is the case here. The 49ers are one of the teams in this conference that actually have stepped it up while others have regressed. So yeah, I think 13-3 seems perfectly reasonable. That was the 49ers, and as I said, they had two first-round picks despite being a Super Bowl team last year. I'm going to go now for my bad for a team that didn't have a great season last year, and also didn't have a first-round pick. Joe, I have to say, as a Green Bay fan, and knowing that you are a Vikings fan, there can only be one team you're picking here, so it better be the one, I hope. Yeah, I'm not going to swear, but let's dump all over this team, and it's the Bears. <laughs> yes, baby! <laughs> so the Bears, 8-8 eight, eight last year. They still didn't have a first-round pick in the 2020 draft as part of a Khalil Mack trade. Last year was a regression year for the Bears. They had a pretty good 2018 season, 2019 step back. I think that there's a lot of things to look at here, but I feel that they've weakened across the team, and I think that they've made some big mistakes in free agency. They didn't have a first-round pick. The first pick they took in the draft in the second round at number 43 overall was Cole Komet. Now, okay, fine. Arguably one of the better tight ends, if not the best tight end in the draft. It would have made sense have they not given a two-year, $20 million contract with $16 million guaranteed and a no-trade clause to Jimmy Graham in the offseason? Jimmy Graham, who's not played a good season of football or a high-level season of football probably since 2013 with the Saints and has disappointed at the Seahawks and Green Bay, just does not make sense to me. So to waste that amount of cap space on Jimmy Graham and then draft a tight end with your first pick, I just don't understand that. <laughs> it's bonkers. Yeah, and he'll be the seventh highest cap hit of a tight end in the league when he has played nowhere near that in the last few years. Next pick in the second round was Javelin Johnson. You know, it's a fine pick. There's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't rock my world. And then they didn't have any other picks until about the fifth round. So in terms of what the Bears had in the draft, I don't think that it was a strong draft for them. I don't think the draft addressed needs. Because when we look at the players that they've lost, it's a list. So let's go through this. They've lost Prince Amukamara, a cornerback. 
They've lost Ha Ha Clinton Dix, free safety. They've lost Nick Kwiatkowski and they've lost Taylor Gabriel. Now, Prince of Mukamara and Ha Clinton Dix formed a key part of their secondary over the last couple of years. They probably weren't playing at elite levels, but they were definitely playing at sufficient starter levels. Nick Kwiatkowski, though, I believe was one of the breakout players for the Bears last year. In a year when a lot of the team weren't playing particularly out of their skins, Nick Kwiatkowski had a great year. Really impressive. And again, I'm, I'm thinking of Vikings games. When he played the Vikings, he was dominant. And I think that Nick Kwiatkowski is, is a player the Bears shouldn't have let go. Taylor Gabriel, okay, he wasn't playing at a high level, but he was second wide receiver on the depth chart. Regardless of whether he should have stayed or gone, the fact that wasn't really addressed in the draft, I think shows that whoever wins the starting job of Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky is going to struggle because there's just not really the targets out there once you go past Alan Robinson. I mean, what is that about, though? I can't figure out what's their game plan with Foles. Is he going to be a tutor for Trubisky? Is he going to replace Trubisky? It seems like an odd dynamic. The official narrative is that they've brought him in to compete with Trubisky. But when you've literally traded up two years previously in the draft to pick Trubisky where they picked him, and everything that came with that, this was a draft where they didn't pick Patrick Mahomes, but they traded up to pick Mitch Trubisky. They're basically admitting that that project has failed. Well, someone has to, right, Joe? Because everyone else can see it isn't working. No, he's not playing like he should be for the draft capital that they invested in him. Nick Foles, though, I'm not really sure if that was the answer. When you look at what the Patriots are paying for Cam Newton, and okay, it's arguable that Cam Newton perhaps wouldn't have taken the veteran minimum at Chicago Bears and might have asked for more, and maybe he's taken that lower contract because he's playing with Belichick and a team that he can potentially win with. Cam Newton's being paid peanuts at the Patriots. The Bears still had to trade for Nick Foles and they're paying him $8 million a year. It just doesn't smell like a good deal. And if we want to talk about good deals and good deals that aren't good deals, the pickup of Robert Quinn. Now, I've talked about the Bears' weaknesses, but one place where they probably are still quite strong is their front seven in the D. They've got Akeem Nix, Eddie Goldman, Roken Smith, Danny Trevathan. They've got a good front seven there playing their 3-4. They've got Khalil Mack. Yeah, I mean, I think their D is probably the only thing that kept them 8-8 last season. Right. So then why do you go and spend $70 million on a five-year contract for Robert Quinn? That just makes no sense to me. When you're crying out for wide receivers, you're crying out for some help in the secondary, you're doing silly contracts at quarterback. Why are you spending $70 million on Robert Quinn for five years? That makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. All right, a great unit just got better. But I mean, that front seven was fine. And I don't think throwing that amount of money is the answer to making this team better. I completely agree. You've listed them as your bad team. Do you expect them to have a worse record than last season? I think I do, yeah. I think I do expect them to have a worse record. Just following on from that, have you seen their schedule at all? Uh, no. So their first seven games before Halloween, they don't play a single playoff team. Fine, but they're not a playoff team either. No, they're not. But as we mentioned, we don't know what's going to happen with the quarterback situation. I think if you're trialling out some quarterback options, it's nice to trial those out with six games that are against teams that aren't playoff teams. I, I think they've got an opportunity to find their way. And then, sure, inevitably, they'll probably be found out in the second half of the season where they've got, I think they've got a horrific run-in, which goes Saints, Titans, Vikings and Packers. Yeah, but 
In those first seven games, they're only probably playing two car crash teams. They're playing the Lions, first of all. Now, if they lose that game to the Lions, their opener, then they're in huge trouble. But they should beat the Lions. The Lions have been a bit of a whipping boy. So let's just take the Lions out of this, right? They're playing the Giants after that. And I'm going to come back to the Giants a bit later. So we'll come back to the Giants. They're playing the Falcons, who can score. You know, they had trouble last year, but they're strengthened. They're playing the Colts, who are a good side. They're playing the Buccaneers, who everyone wants to hype up, and it's Brady, and it's Gronk, and it's all of that. They're playing the Panthers. Okay, again, probably another problematic team, but no pushovers. And then they're playing the Rams as well, who are going through a bit of flux right now, but aren't a badly run team. So yeah, so they don't play a playoff team till after Halloween, but they're playing no scrubs. Yeah, true. And then they could possibly only win one or two games maximum after Halloween. They could have a horrendous second half of the season. So if they don't build that momentum early on, if they lose to the Lions game one, if they you know don't play well against the Panthers, they could have a seriously low season. A seriously low season. I just think that the beginning of the schedule is kinder for them, and I feel that they probably need that. And I think if they settle into it well, if they build a bit of momentum, probably going to go 7-9. I can see a situation, though, where you've got the Lions coming in a bit more organised. You've got Matt Patricia arguably playing for his job this season. The team perhaps raising their levels. I could see a situation where the Bears are going to come fourth in the NFC North this year, and it certainly will mean that they won't play 8-8. I think that the best case for the Bears would be a 6-10 season. Ooh, 6-10. 6-10 is the best case because, all right, they've got that relatively, relatively easier run up to Halloween, which they're not going to win all of those great games, not by any means whatsoever. But the best case is they win maybe half of those games, win four of those games, and then they're going to struggle big time the second half. <laughs> okay. I mean, I hate to say it, I've got a little bit more faith in them, but no more love for them. So who are your bad team for the AFC? Now, here's the thing. I think the obvious choice would have been the Jags. I think they look like a terrible team, but I didn't want to pick a team just like the Bears. When I mention this team as a bad team, that's probably a little bit unfair. I don't think they're a bad team, but I think they are overhyped at the moment. And I think they're going to do a lot worse than people expect. And for me, that is the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. In my opinion, they got a little bit lucky last season. They had a few players who no one really knew much about in terms of Darren Waller, Tyrell Williams, that that performed exceptionally well, more than I suppose anyone really expected them to and picked up that slack for the team. The additions that the Raiders have picked up, they've picked up some offensive pieces for sure. So they're looking to play uh, offensively, which kind of matches what the Ravens have done. And it's a conference that a lot of teams have just looked to bolster their offense and go all out. My concern with them, and I suppose always will be, is Derek Carr and whether giving him more options actually does anything differently at all. And then, of course, I mentioned already Darren Waller as this kind of emerging star. But then they've gone and they've picked up Jason Witten from the Cowboys, which to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But do you think that it could be great for uh, Waller's career to be having a player like Jason Witten in the locker room instilling his future Hall of Fame knowledge upon him? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think Jason Witten will add something. I think what we saw was raw ability in Darren Waller. I suppose I'm thinking of it from a next season point of view. And that's a really good point you raised because maybe the Raiders are building more long term. That's what they're thinking about. Jared Cook used to be at the Raiders and didn't perform exceptionally well there is performing a lot better at the Saints and I just I for me I think the issue is Derek Carr and I think you can chuck as many weapons into that locker room as you want I just don't see them performing as well as people are expecting them to do I'm going to challenge you and I think you're being a bit unfair there go for it Derek Carr last year 21 touchdowns eight interceptions his passer rating was over 100 that's not the performance of a weak quarterback. That's a strong season. Now, the team finished 7-9, but Derek Carr threw for over 4,000 yards, and he wasn't, he wasn't you know, careless with the ball. He had a low amount of fumbles. He had a good passer rating. I don't think you can put the blame on Derek Carr's shoulders. And I think that, in my view, I think giving him a whole load of new tools now to throw the ball at. I mean, three of the Raiders' first four picks in the draft were wide receivers. You add in Jason Witten to that mix as well. I think offensively, this could be a really exciting time if you're an Oakland Raiders fan. And I think that's what a lot of people are thinking. I I suppose, and maybe it's because I've got a bit of a short-term memory when I'm thinking back to it, but their last six games, they scored 24 points or less. They went into the stretch 1-5, and that is with, you know, all this emerging talent still being there. I just think there's inconsistency issues there. I think that they have surrounded Carr with talent that can flash, but I think that's it. I think it flashes. I don't think it burns brightly, and I think that is what the hype is around for me. So you're saying that Henry Ruggs, first wide receiver to go in the draft, is going to be a flash rather than long-term talent? No, but I think that you will only see flashes from him whilst Derek Carr's throwing the ball. Despite him having a passer rating of over 100 last year? despite it you can quote me on that strong claims because the thing is we're talking about the Raiders offense here as well now when we're talking about the Bears I said that I thought it was criminal that they let Nick Kwiatkowski go Nick Kwiatkowski went to the Raiders now that's a very very good linebacker they've picked up as well I also mentioned Prince and Mukamara the Raiders picked him up as well so they've picked up a few pieces from the Bears which are very proficient pieces for the D and they've strengthened that side of the field you know, they've strengthened both sides of the ball here. And they were only 7-9 last year. It's not infeasible for them to add a few more wins to them. Throw a spanner in the works, Joe. Can they run on something that isn't a diamond? Because <laughs> they're going to have to this season. The baseball pitch has gone. Now, there's probably a little bit of truth in that. And I'll go along with that a little bit. Now, yeah, they have changed stadiums. When we look at what happened when the Rams moved back to Los Angeles... They had a terrible, terrible first 10 games that cost Jeff Fisher his job. They made a really bad start. It's always hard to judge what happens when a team moves because it happens so rarely. That could be a factor. And look, yeah, they could totally crash and burn. They could play like the Rams played when they first moved to Los Angeles and go 0-10 and 10 to start. They could do. I don't think they will, though. I think that this is going to be a season where Derek Carr is going to step up. I think that he's got the pieces now that a over-100-rated passer can really shine. And I think that they're strengthened on the D. So I... You're saying that they're a bad team. I can see the Raiders realistically winning nine, if not ten games. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is what I was caveating at the beginning. I wouldn't say they're a bad team. I think they're an overhyped team. I think they're going to be a team that's going to be a lot of fun to watch this season if the season goes ahead. 
there's going to be some great plays that will be made by the Raiders. But I think they will lack in consistency. And I am going to predict, I think I predict a repeat performance of 7-9 or maybe 6-10. Okay, okay. But you've got in that conference, you've got the Chargers now who are without Philip Rivers. They are. You've got the Broncos who are still leaning on Drew Locke. And, you know, that could go either way. We're not talking about Drew Locke today, but there's plenty to talk about there. You could feasibly have two weak sides in the AFC West. Obviously, the Chiefs will probably win it. But potentially, you know, a wild card slot opening up in that division because there's two easy teams to play. Could be. Could be. I think, yeah, you've highlighted two teams there that there will be questions around. I for me, I'm not sure the loss of Philip Rivers for the Chargers is going to be that massive, depending on how their rookie quarterback performs. There's a lot of tough teams in this conference that have all improved. And so I do I think that the Raiders have gained more than the rest? Personally, I don't. Not this year. And it's a good point that you raised earlier. Are they set up well for the future? Actually, yes, probably they are. And in two, three years' time, they might be a really competitive team. But I think next season, I expect them to only repeat what they performed this season, maybe slightly less. So then we're on to the sneaky. My sneaky is almost your sneaky because much like you were talking about the Niners and how you foreshadowed that last week, I'm going to do the same with what you said about the Colts, which is my pick. A lot of what we said last week, I completely agree with. I think the Colts are a team that a lot of people have been sleeping on recently because obviously after the loss of luck, they were sort of forgotten about. But we've just mentioned Philip Rivers. He's gone to the Colts. I said that I don't think he's going to be a massive loss for the Chargers, depending on how their rookie quarterback performs. I do, however, think he's going to be a great pickup for the Colts and the team they've already got in terms of running back and wide receiver options. Philip, he's a great quarterback. He's been a great quarterback. What his downfall was potentially last season was him trying desperately to win the game too much. The rest of his team let him down from time to time and he took it upon himself to be the hero and he threw way too many long balls, way too many hero balls that led to interceptions and the game spun around and and the Chargers lost a lot of games as a result of a silly Rivers play towards the end of the game. The Colts have a much better position defensively and I think they've got some really good offensive options that Philip Rivers can look to. I think they're going to be put in a very good position to improve and succeed to a certain degree this season. Yeah, I think they will improve this year. And I think that the Colts over the last few years have been a well-run organisation that's made the right choices. They've done some really good drafting over the last few years. I think their free agency has, I wouldn't say surprised me, but they've made some moves there that maybe don't look obvious on the first look. They've picked up Trey Burton. Now, they're not paying him much at all. They're paying him the uh, league minimum. But I'm not really sure what Trey Burton adds. They've picked up Xavier Rhodes. Now, they must think that they're going to reignite his career because Xavier Rhodes' play fell off an absolute cliff in the last two years at the Vikings. He was atrocious last year, one of the worst-rated cornerbacks by PFF. And again, they're not paying him much. They're paying him $3 million, but they seem to be taking punts on these veteran players, thinking that they can squeeze the last amount of life out of him, which is kind of what they're doing with Philip Rivers as well. I mean, a one-year, twenty-five million fully guaranteed contract is a little bit different to the amounts of pain Xavier Rose and Trey Burton. Oh yeah. But but again, it seems to be that squeezing something out of a once great player. If this works, if one of those three players comes good, and you know, it's probably not going to be Trey Burton. 
I'd be surprised if it's Xavier Rhodes. But if one or two of these players really come good, then that team is really going to be enhanced there. So they're taking a bit of a risk on these veteran free agents. Like I said last week, I think the Colts are going to be a sneaky good team. I can see them doing very well. I can see them potentially winning the AFC South. It's between them and the uh, Texans. Yeah, the thing that probably excites me the most about the Colts is their second round pick, which was Jonathan Taylor. And Taylor is the first player in major college history to rush for more than 6,000 yards across his three-season spam. So to me, that shows consistency. And when he was doing that, he was doing that behind a line that was built for the run at Wisconsin. And the Colts have got a similar thing set up here. They've got a line that's very well built for the run. They've got Quentin Nelson, who's a fantastic run-blocking guard. They've got Ryan Kelly in centre. So I think they're well set up to help Taylor succeed if he does indeed step right into that role. And if he doesn't, you know, Marlon Mack exists. He's still there and and he was excellent when he was healthy for them. So I think that they have all the pieces, but you're absolutely right. It is dependent on some of these vet gambles because they have picked up players that have all been a little bit shaky over the last season or two. So they need one of those to come good. I think that if those vets do come good, they could definitely come out with a better record as what they had last year. I'm not overly enamoured with the draft this year. I get what you're saying about Jonathan Taylor, but I haven't really seen the Colts' run game as being a weakness over the last few years. Equally as well, with Michael Pittman, I mean, they picked Paris Campbell in the second round last year, and they still have T.Y. Hilton on the roster. I mean, that now makes a very, very strong wide receiver court, but could they perhaps have gone with another linebacker to go with Darius Leonard, maybe someone else in the secondary just to add more depth there? I don't know. But they've gone skill positions with their first two picks in the second round of this year's draft. You know, let's see if that adds the edge to push them over the edge. So they went 7-9 and nine last season. I'm bullish on the Colts. I think maybe they go 10-6. 10-6. I'm going to go big. Okay, but that's, um, you know, playing the Titans and the Texans twice each year. It is. I'm not totally convinced on the Texans this year. I still think the Titans are going to be really good as long as Derek Henry's healthy. But the Texans, I think the Colts could sneak a game or two. Okay, I'm going to go with 8-8 because I just don't see any of those veteran uh, free agency pickups paying off of them. I'll be happy to be proved wrong, but I'm going for 8-8 for the Colts. Nice. So that takes us to the final sneaky pick. Take us home. Right, so I'm going with perhaps a bit of a controversial one here because it's not an obvious sneaky but I'm going with the New York Giants as my sneaky pick. Ah, we're balling here. <laughs> right, so let's break this down. Giants last year finished 4-12, a terrible record. The NFC East was probably the worst division in football last year. You had the Cowboys and the Eagles basically seemingly trying to lose the division. No one seemed to want to go to playoffs. It was absolutely crazy. And the Cowboys looked so good to begin with. They absolutely faded down the stretch. Now, you had the Eagles winning that division at 9-7, Cowboys second at 8-8, and you have the Giants third at 4-12. Let's look at what they've done in the draft here. They picked up Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle, with a fourth pick overall. Now, he wasn't number one on everyone's board at offensive tackle, but the Giants wanted him, they've done their scouting, and they got their man. When you look at the pieces they've been doing on the offensive line over the last couple of years... Picking up Will Hernandez, 34th overall in 2018. And that's a pick that I loved at the time. I wanted Will Hernandez to be drafted by the Vikings. Giants got him. Got Hernandez. You got Thomas. 
And I think that offensive line is going to really come together and protect Daniel Jones, who I think showed flashes of excellence last year. He was Danny Dimes in a few games and getting all the plaudits. I think that if he plays consistently at some of that level that he was showing with an enhanced offensive line, I think we could really start to see something there. Got Xavier McKinney as a safety, number 36 pick. You know, it wasn't a particularly strong draft for safeties, but they got one of the best safeties in the draft. Giants picked up another offensive tackle, Matt Pert, 99 overall. Then a cornerback in the fourth round of a draft with uh, Darnay Holmes. Overall, in my eyes, a strong draft addressing needs throughout the team. You then look at what they've done in free agency. James Bradbury, I'll admit, I think they're overpaying for him. They've made him the fourth highest cornerback here, paying him 45 million free a deal, 32 million of guarantees. They're overpaying, but James Bradbury is a very proficient cornerback. He's going to enhance the secondary. You know, they have a cap space to do that. They still have a fair amount of effective cap space after doing this. It's not the best financial deal. It's, you know, it's six out of 10. They should have paid less. The cornerback market this year has been reset by a lot of silly deals. When you've got the Bengals making Trey Waynes the sixth highest paid cornerback, you have to pay a bit more for players like James Bradbury. And that's just the reality of the market we're in now. It's not a good time to be giving cornerbacks contracts, but it is what it is. They also picked up Blake Martinez, linebacker, 30 million free year deal, which I think is a great pickup there. Again, that's going to strengthen their D. I've run through the draft. I've run through free agency. I think the players I've picked up have been great additions. What I think they have done really well, though, is cutting the deadwood. Mike Remmers, who, in my eyes, is a vastly overpaid offensive tackle, gone. Antoine Beffia, once a great player for the Cardinals. He wasn't so great when he went to the Giants. He was, you know, okay, but he's 35 years old playing safety. It was time for him to be cut. Then we've had Buchanan and Ogletree go as well. There were players who showed flashes, who played well. Their play has been declining a little bit, and they're gone. So I think that they cleared up some cap space by getting rid of those vets. Sure, the Cowboys had a great draft, so the Cowboys will be a stronger proposition. I can't say the same for Philly, and I can't say the same for, nearly said the Redskins then, I can't say (laughs) the same for Washington. So, sneaky, I think that they have a chance in the NFC East, especially if the Cowboys don't play up to their potential, which is more often the case than not these days. I was about to say, I mean, that's almost par for the course for the Cowboys recently. Do you know what? I love that pick for a sneaky pick because I think that is genuinely sneaky. I don't think anyone would see it coming. But hey, if they pull it off, then, you know, that's impressive. Listen, one person we can't ignore is DeAndre Baker, right? Yep. (laughs) We can't ignore Baker. That certainly is true. Do you want to talk about Baker? (laughs) Let's talk about Baker. First round pick of their last season, cornerback. He was one of three first round picks. So the Giants had three first-round picks last year, Danny Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and DeAndre Baker. Oh, okay, yeah. As you pointed out, you know, defence is probably the biggest area that they need to improve. The difficulty is not in seeing the Giants score, it's in seeing them defend any form of a lead. And, well, DeAndre Baker not being there is definitely going to make that trickier. Yes and no. I mean, he was a plug-and-play rookie. He started 15 games last season. He didn't blow anyone's socks off in terms of his level of play. Yeah, he's ruined his career now. Will he ever play in the National Football League again? I doubt it. He's done. He's toast. He's gone. They've brought in James Bradbury, like I said, so they now have like a fourth highest cornerback hit in that player. He's not the fourth best cornerback in the league. He's getting paid that way, but he's a good cornerback. I think that the switch between Bradbury and Baker will probably still be an upgrade with this player who they've brought in through free agency. I think, yeah, it's a distraction. It's not great for the team. And to lose a first-round pick, 
and to lose a first round pick to prison. No, you were right first time. <laughs> and to lose a first round pick to prison a year after you've picked him is not good for any team. It's a distraction that they've got to deal with, but it's just a sideshow. Yeah. Look, I'm going to be honest. I think that there are still holes in this team. I think that Danny Jones could have done with some receivers to throw it to because there were times last season where there were so many wide receivers injured, it became beyond a joke. I mean, there were times when you had Shepard, Rogers, everyone who was on that depth chart was on the injury report. So if they had drafted a wide receiver somewhere in the draft, maybe on day two, I would have thought that perhaps this draft is even better. But I still think that they've addressed some key needs I think they've strengthened as a team. I think that if Danny Jones takes a step forward and doesn't regress at all, I think they could be a surprise hit. Yeah, I, uh, do you know what? I think that's a really good shout. For me, they have certainly improved. I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think it's dramatic enough to really move the dial too much on the team this season. Uh, they went 4-12 last season. I think maybe they pick up an extra game and go 5-11. I'm going to say they're going to go 8-8. Wow, that's a big jump from 4-12. I'm going to say they're going to go 8-8. I think that Washington TBC are going to struggle again. I think that there's a lot of off-field issues there because don't forget, it wasn't just DeAndre Baker who got himself in trouble. There's a Washington player there as well. Oh yeah, good point. And I think that the Cowboys, let's just say the Cowboys do win the division and the Cowboys win, you know, with a 9-7, with a 10-6. But there's lots of contractual issues with the Cowboys. There's lots of things going on behind the scenes there. They had a good draft, but with a good draft comes the pressure of those draftees performing and everyone's hyping that draft up to the rafters. I wasn't impressed with Philly last year. Philly have a lot of issues that haven't been addressed and they're also taking some steps back with what we've done in free agency. So yeah, so look, I think the Giants are going to go 8-8. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team because I'm not sure if 8-8 is going to be enough to get to playoffs in the NFC conference. It probably won't be but they're going to push second and they're going to be a better side. Nice. So we've ended on the sneaky. Do we just ghost now, Joe? Do we just slow walk out of here? <laughs> so look, you heard it here first. Giants 8-8 next season. That's my sneaky pick this week. It's been great fun this week, Chaz. Yeah, it's been fantastic. See you all next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.